Pulls up the three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Hello from me, Mark Woods. Welcome to the first MVP cast of 2022. A very happy new year to you. Hope it's a great one for us all. Big year, of course, ahead for British basketball. Fresh investment coming into the game. Eurobasket for GB's men this summer. Lots to look forward to. We'll have it all covered at MVP247.com. If you want to subscribe to our newsletter, the post up, head to the website and get it direct into your email inbox. Right. Lots of great guests in the podcast lined up for this year. On our first is a well-traveled guard who's been on quite the journey in his career so far. He's been all over Europe, back in home soil this season with the Plymouth City Patriots. He is Joe Hart. Welcome to the MVP cast and Happy New Year, Joe. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here and, and Happy New Year to everyone. I have a burning question, which I've always wanted to ask you. And I'm going to start with this. Have you ever met yeah. the other Joe Hart? <laughs> Do you know what? Uh, I have not. I think when uh, the year I played in Newcastle, um, what, back in 2016, I think there was maybe some talks of trying to get something to happen, um, but nothing ever came of it. So sadly, no, I have not met the other Joe Hart. Ever corresponded, ever tweeted at one another? No, no. Uh, my uh, my Instagram handle is the real Joe Hart. So like that's my my little poke. And uh, especially now, he's not, he's not as uh, relevant relevant in the uh the england side it's, it's died down a bit but definitely when i was was coming up there was a lot of oh that's not joe hart this is he's a football player not a basketball player um but yeah that's about it really never been offered a shampoo commercial accidentally <laughs> I, oh, I wish i would have jumped it with, with both hands but i don't have much hair left so it wouldn't be a <laughs> wouldn't be a, a good move on their part beard wash there's your there's your joe hart niche yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. Beard, beard companies uh, hit me up. Like I said, my Instagram, you know where to find me. Um, I mean, we're coming into New Year, but you, I mean, your Christmas was was like a lot of people's shuttled away with COVID. I mean, how, how, was it? how are you feeling now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough, obviously, isn't it? Like, you, you stay away for COVID. I didn't get COVID for the last two years. And then uh, the one time I'm back playing in England and really looking forward to spending some time with the family. Test positive like two or three days before Christmas. And I uh, just had to sit in my room, and my parents were amazing. Um, they brought me food when I wanted it. I tried not to take the take the mick too much. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a different Christmas, but always nice to be around family, even if it is to through a wall or, or on Facetime. What's I mean? What do you sense the level is of anxiety around the BBL is at the moment? You're talking to players at you know at Plymouth and, and other teams because we've had a lot of games postponed already you know, the, you know we're starting to fall well, behind i mean does does it feel like you were going to get through this season well to be honest with you some teams have had games postponed and cancelled we haven't been i don't want to say lucky because obviously anything to do with covid is, is not luck um it's unfortunate um but yeah i don't know about anxiety i think it's uh it's just something we all have to deal with and don't get me wrong i don't think any of us want the league to stop um but who knows what the government's going to come out with in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I, I want to say it's probably similar to the way most people are. We were just fed up with it um, because a lot of people, I think, um, are, are testing positive and maybe having mild cases or, or no symptoms. And from that standpoint, if you're you're young, you're fit, you're healthy, you've got no symptoms, you're vaccinated, uh, it's tough to just sit in your room midway through a season for seven days, 10 days, whatever it may be. 
and then try and come back and get back into the action immediately, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very tough to do. And I think that's where a lot of guys struggle, perhaps with the mental side of taking a break that long in the season. How has it been for you guys in Plymouth? Because, you know, we were talking about, before we started recording, about the fact we all still call it the Raiders accidentally. It's, it is a new team. It's a new franchise. It's, and obviously it has been a tough start, winless heading in, into 2022. Um, as players, how have you found that environment of, of being part of something which has been created effectively from scratch? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, right? Like I can't really speak too much on on the Raiders organization before because I wasn't here. Um, but all the people that are involved with the Patriots are, are top class people and, and are, are really good for the sport and and just good people in general. From the basketball standpoint, look, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm enjoying losing because I'm not. It is pretty miserable. Um, and I think we had opportunity, especially in in some games early in the season. I think we could have got Manchester at home. Um, didn't happen and I think we could have picked up one of those wins against Sheffield and even in the cup I think we, there was a couple of games that we let slip um, with that being said I think the majority if not everyone um, who came here in the summer I think we knew what 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 we were expecting um, you know like it is a new franchise at the time we didn't have any licenses to sign Americans so it's a, a full British roster roster um, so look, I think we all looked at it as an opportunity and to try and help a, a, a fresh team and, and for a lot of us put, uh, put our foot in, in the BBL and um, see if we can play at this level, um, which I think plenty of us have proved that we can. Um, but hopefully now we've got a couple of new guys in who are very, very good um, and hopefully start 2022, pick up a couple of early wins and just start getting rolling. I mean... I don't think it's a secret to anyone at our club. We still, our, our goal is to make playoffs. People, people might laugh at that, um, but but that's our goal. We, there's only ten teams in the league. You just got to finish eighth, um, and I think that's very achievable for us. What do you think the adjustments will come? Because obviously, first part of the season at times depth was an issue, bit of roster turnover. Now you were, relatively speaking, at full strength or as full strength as you're going to be. Going into this year, what what have you guys talked about? What's PJ talked about about? where this roster can get better well well you know what's crazy is we never we never played one game we haven't played a game yet with everyone mm -hmm. we haven't played a, a game with full strength like uh even with the people that have, have now left the team we had dens was out for six weeks kingsley when he was here was injured um v had national team duties um roel got missed a couple of games from injury um then we had a COVID outbreak like from standpoint of luck we had some miserable luck in that first that first stretch of the season which again it's professional sports it happens um <clears throat> but i think look we're, we're we're moving in the right direction we're we're playing the right way we're playing with more pace it's no secret at times we've had real problems struggling um to score the ball now i don't think that's going to be an issue with with the two guys i mean you've got um Deuce, Rashad Hassan, who's, who's a prolific scorer in the BBL every year he's played here. So I think that is undoubtedly going to help us. Um, and again, now it, it's more uh, in practice, we've got 10, 11 people. We've got the bodies to go, um, which will, will help us uh, undoubtedly as we move forward, for sure. I mean, being out of the league for four years, you're coming back in. It's, been, it's changed a little bit. How do you assess the relative strength? Do you see it as, OK, it's for your teams, but do you assess it as stronger as it was when you were last year with Newcastle? Um, it's an interesting question. I think 
in, in my mind, I think the league has come leaps and bounds in the last 10 years and even, even in the last four or five years since the last time I played. Um, don't get me wrong, obviously it's very sad that leagues have, have bounced out. Um, I mean, teams have bounced out with Worcester going, Leeds going, obviously Plymouth went and then came back um, with the Royals going as well. Um, you hate to see that. But from a, a talent standpoint and a, and a depth of the league, I think the league has an incredible amount of talent and from my perspective, a lot more talent than four years ago. I mean, look what London did. Look what Royals did. Look at the team that Plymouth had here last year. Um, <clears throat> so I think from a league standpoint, I think it's going from strength to strength. And what with the with the hope of adding, what do they say, three or four new teams over five years? Like if, if that goes in the right direction, some more teams get their own arenas um, so they can start making a little bit more money revenue-wise. I think the league is just is is set to to blow up in a big way. But in answer of your original question, yes, I think the league is better, um, has more talent than it did four years ago. I mean, you you talk about the league getting better. I mean, you you've sampled the structure in a number of major European countries, and we'll, we'll chat about some of those stops in a while. But you, know, you you've seen some of the best structures, and you know, you've been to Spain going for a lot of your career. Where do you think that money? this seven million pounds could be best spent you know some of it obviously will be marketing and you're in front of front of center stuff but behind the scenes what could make us better what could bring basketball in this country up to that level where you know we're developing talent where we've got a better grassroots where we're, you know, we're uh, bringing I, bringing clubs through so i again i think in other countries if we take spain for example like i just think the way the popularity of basketball and the level that basketball is taught at such a high level from such a young age has such a big impact. Again, don't get me wrong, you have massive ACB teams, so you have stuff to look forward to as a youngster. Like, you can be involved in a Madrid or a Barcelona programme from the age of, uh, what, I don't want to say eight, might be a bit young, but from eight to ten, you could effectively be on Barcelona's team. Right? They have 25 youth teams all around Barcelona, and you guys get to see on TV that... Um, Barcelona playing in Euroleague and ACB and it's in a packed arena and it's a high high standard. Um, so obviously there's a, a pathway there for, for players like that. So maybe some money spent on some pathway. But I, I think my, my biggest gripe with basketball in England is there's not enough money invested into developing coaches. And that's what I think it comes down to. If you develop high-level coaches, super high-level coaches, and they get players better, you'll have better players and better players playing in your league and, and wanting to stay. Um it's just all good for the game. And coaches that get paid, which would be nice. No, it, one, one look, it's it's a sad reality, and, and you can't. I'm not saying you just throw money at, at players or obviously what seven 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 are doing down in London with salaries and um, what the the Turkish investors did at Raiders, like salaries are getting bumped up. But yeah, obviously people, uh, it, basketball in England is so dependent on volunteers, on volunteers, all volunteer work. Um, even if it's like uh, being sh stewards at games and helping people to their seats. We have a couple of great uh, volunteers down here called Tony and Irene who wash our kit, take it like top-notch people. But why should they not be getting something, you know? Um, but yeah, like I said, for me, I think it's investment in coaching at the grassroots level would, uh, would pay dividends in 10, 15, 20 years. When you came through, I mean, you were you were in a lot of the junior national teams, you know, starting off with with England, then then the switch into GB, and you were part of 
one of our real success stories you know, with the under 20 team that you know win a European title at B level but you know you're the captain it's it was a moment we all looked at and went wow I mean it's the significant it was a breakthrough um but then you, you, you that sort of we're sitting here now almost a decade later and there's no under 20 team how, how do you view that as a, as a somebody came through that and had that experience uh, it's it's uh, I, I spoke on uh, the below the room podcast about this when when the news kind of came out like for me I think it's so unacceptable like uh, the way that I went about it, again I'm not involved in the situation so I don't know the ins and outs but it was kind of like it was just a shock like oh there's no under 20s team this year like again if if funding had been an issue put out a, a GoFundMe page or or, or something I don't uh, again. I would have given some money. I know a, a plethora of other players that would have given money. It, I feel like the funding couldn't have been an issue. And if you could have put together a two-week training camp, um, what you can't use the performance center as a place to to host them, where you don't have to have to pay for that venue because it's the England Performance Center. Uh, like it, it's so sad to see, especially speaking from I know the hard work and the dedication that that we put in over such a long period of time. There was on that under twenty team. I think there was four of us that played um, like two years up at under 16, we didn't get promotion. We played our year under 16, we came third, but at that point it was only the top two teams get promotion. It was such a slog of consistent giving up your summer year after year after year with that hope and dream of getting promotion. We get it and now, now what, back, back to nothing. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's unacceptable in my opinion, let alone you now like, you announce there's no funding, and then you have a, a big, a big investor, seven seven seven, come in and, and invest seven million. And I, I'm, I'm pretty certain there's a partnership between um, England Basketball, GB Basketball, and the BBL. So there's some money there, and I don't think anyone in the league would be furious if he said, "Yeah, for an under twenty program, we're going to fund it so they can have a, a team." But yeah, I just oh, I completely disagree with it, to be honest with you. And, and I am, yeah, very, uh, very sad and that it's happened. How bonded did you feel? I mean, you're, you're coming through national team programs, and we, we've talked about this with a lot of guests over, over the podcast, and you know, the different countries, and you know, we always reference Spain, it's become a bit of a cliche, but you know, you come through the ranks, you feel very bonded to a national team program, and that becomes your thing. And even if you know, if you make it to senior level, you know, you're playing with your friends, it becomes even if you make the NBA, it still feels like it's something that's important to you. I mean, as someone that came through all those ranks, how much did you get that sense of? belonging and ownership and stakeholding and all that oh 100% like to, to this day my, my two proudest moments for basketball are getting promotion with our under 20 team and representing the men's team but I even put it akin to like coming back and playing in the BBL now like Louis Sayers was on my under 20 team Johnny Bunyan Ali Fraser Connor Washington like when I was playing a, a year up like but having bonds with those guys no matter when if I don't see them for for 10 years 15 years don't see them as soon as i see them that's the first thing we're going to talk about the experience that we had with that coach and that summer and and how much fun it was like yeah you have a, it gives you something to look forward to you're you're playing in a foreign country away from your friends um the summertime you know hey maybe you're not getting playing time at the team you, you want to be at you're thinking well i'm going to be able to prove myself a national team this summer like yes yeah, it's, it's a, a big bond and it is uh it, it forms some great relationships and a, a put a very high I don't know what the word is a high price or a high value on um, on the relationships that are formed through national teams definitely 
And you get a senior cap, and your your first cap was the game where, where Drew Sullivan won his 100th cap against, I think it was the Kiwis in New Zealand, the Tall Blacks, which had yeah. the copper box. Um, and you got, you got several caps over you know a couple of years, and but all in non-competitive games. I mean, does does that feel like enough of an international career that, or does it only kind of sink home if if you you get that competitive game? Um, it's it's a good question actually. You know, um, I think for me, one hundred percent, like no one can ever take away me standing at the copper box and a bunch of tall New Zealand blokes doing a hacker. Like that, uh, that moment <laughs> it was amazing it, to watch. Uh, it's etched in my memory. It's a sold out arena, and it was just you know, that's a, a moment you dream, you dream of without realizing it's your dream. Again, I would have absolutely have given my my arm and leg to have played on a Euro basket, um, in a Euro basket team. And perhaps when I was a little bit younger, it was a point of contention, but um, but now when I look back at it, I, I represented my country even if it was a friendly game and I'm at a stage where I know I'm not going to represent my country again which I'm perfectly okay with I can be a fan I can support and and get incredibly hyped up when they beat Germany in Newcastle you know watch all those games and uh you know just be super excited excited for the progression that that team has made because the way I look at it I want to say they've been on what like a four or five year upward turn Mm. I was I was there at the beginning maybe I'm not there as a part of it now but I like to think that I contributed a little bit um so yeah when i was younger it was definitely something that i really really wanted now i'm I'm more than happy that i got the opportunity even if it was in friendly games to play in some of those friendly games i mean you you played in that build-up as joe pronti was the, the head coach at, at the time yeah and you play in the build-up to, to your bus but then you get cut and you know it's never an easy thing talk us through it i mean it's, it was, you know, left the curtain behind the scenes for for all of us listening here what gets said uh yeah look so Again, it was uh, it was my second summer. Like I played in that New Zealand game, I got asked back the next year. Um, we had been playing. I think we went to Portugal. We also went to Slovenia, and I was having an absolutely atrocious training camp. Like for me, the writing was on the wall. It's clear. Like I don't know what it was. I was in my head. I wasn't playing very well. Um, I even I had a beard at the time, and then I was playing so bad. Like one morning, I came down and, and shaved it. Uh, and Prunty looked at me and he said, "Oh, you superstitious motherfucker! Sorry if I'm not allowed to swear." It's all right, but uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I was just I was all in my head. So for me, the writing was on the wall. Um, but regardless of that, we got back um, from Slovenia. I didn't play like uh, Goran and Zoran Dragic played. Like uh, I think there was 14 of us, and I was the 13th and 14th, so we didn't get to dress. Um, again writing was on the wall we came back to manchester when we had a couple of games against um holland and uh, my parents had come up for the games and they hadn't told us who was sitting out or not so we all warmed up and i looked up on the scoreboard like 30 minutes before the game and my name wasn't there i was like oh i mean i, I get oh, there's no way i'm playing if i'm not on the scoreboard i'm not on the score sheet i, ca- I can't get in this game um so that was pretty tough having my family come all the way up to manchester um but yeah, then like the next morning after the game, uh, Coach Prunty just called me into his office, sat down and said, look, no easy way to do this. I'm sorry, we're going to release you. I said, look, I understand I would have made the same decision. Thank you for the opportunity and good luck. Um, you know, just short, sweet, simple. You can't, I don't think you can bullshit your way around conversations like that. And that's something I really liked about Joe. He was very straight and honest and to the point. Um, and yeah, that was it really. Got my train back home and... Uh, was sad for uh, for a week or so and other than that just, just carried on started working out thinking about where i was going next season 
you've gone around to different places and different environments. And your first place when you went, or one of the first places you went was Blair Academy in New Jersey, which, you know, for, for regular British basketball watchers is the place that Lowell Dane went to, Timmy Fag Benley went to, you know, lots of big names. Just, Justin, Justin Robertson also. Justin as well, yeah, of course. Um, so a big destination there under Joe Montagna and his staff there. Um, how did you find that environment? Because it's, it's worked for so many people. Uh, it was, again, to, for lack of a better term, it was a dream come true. When I, you go from being a big fish in a small pond in, in England, and I thought that's what, what I was at the time. At the, I was 16. I think I had achieved everything I could have achieved being in England. Um, again, despite from playing on a, 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 a decent team where I was from, we, we played conference, um, but I was still doing well at the national team level. But yeah, got there and it was just, I was in awe. Um, the facilities, the people, the level, it is, uh, it's like you're walking around campus. It was like I was at Hogwarts. It was, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely eye-opening. Um, and the best decision I think uh, I ever made for sure was going to Blair for three years. But yet, most people go to college. You come back to yep. Europe. What was, the, what was the path there? I, I went to university in Canada for a year. But I was I was going to go to a Division two school in Texas, but because I finished year 11 and then repeated my sophomore year, so I effectively repeated year 11 and then did 12, 13, the whole like NCAA clearinghouse, um, like when your graduation date is, my graduation date had technically been when I was in school in England, so I would have had to sit out for a year if I went to school in America, um, which I had no interest in doing. So I ended up going to a school in Canada called Lakehead University, um, which in Canada there is no clearing house and you get five years of eligibility and it is European rules. So at the time it made uh, a whole lot of sense. Um, I, I knew I was going to end up back. I wasn't going to play in the NBA. I'm not an idiot. Um, I knew I was going to end back up in Europe. So if I could start playing European rules again now, um, I thought it'd be a good, a good opportunity. And I was there for a year. We uh, we made the national final, which was an awesome experience. We lost to the Carlton Ravens, which is Dave Smart's team, um, who ironically was my under-20 coach for the 92-born generation the summer before I went to Lakehead. So that was a, a nice little connection I had there. And then um, that summer after being at Lakehead, had uh, the year we got promotion with the under-20s. And I had a great a great tournament. I shot fifty percent from three. We we finished second. Obviously, we got promotion. Um, I went back to school. Everyone who had left from the year before, because I think we had seven five year seniors. Um, so it was a whole bunch of new faces. It was very very cold where I was. I got an offer to go and play in Spain, and I said, you know what, this is what I want to do. I don't really like university that much anyway. Jumped out with with, with both arms, and then that was it. That was it to education. No, most people could see the attraction of that because you're 19 years of age and yep. someone says, we're going to pay you to play basketball and we're going to put you in Benidorm. Yeah, I mean, no, that, that, That's an option that most 19-year-olds are not going to knock back. Was no, that... it, it must have felt like living the dream despite the fact it's a lower level in Spain. That's, that's not a bad place to be when you're 19 years of age. No, look, again, it's, I, I go back and forth a lot in my head sometimes if I think it was the right decision or if I should have stayed in Canada, finished my degree. 
<laughs> and to be honest with you, I think I'm, I think I made the right choice. I I didn't enjoy school that much, so maybe I wouldn't have finished my degree anyway. But I got to experience a new culture. I got to live in the only time in my life I've ever been tanned because it was hot 24-7. Um, I got to meet some great people down there. And, yeah, while the level wasn't great, it, it, it opened my eyes to what basketball was in Spain. And, and for those people that have played in Spain, I, I can't quite describe what basketball is like out there, but it's just it's different to anywhere I've ever been. Um, in the way they teach it, the way it's played, it's just, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's almost a different sport. Um, and I'm very grateful that I had that opportunity. And, I, well, don't get me wrong, it was tough living in a foreign country where you don't speak any Spanish and no one on the team really speaks English. But again, it forced me to learn Spanish. So it was it was brilliant. I loved it there. Um, I mean, those first three years you were as a pro, and you know, you're young when you're in Spain and it's in the sunshine and it's, it's all that. Yeah, but one thing always strikes me when I've seen lower league games in Spain, and you know, even if you're at the fourth level, effectively, or you know, the, the second, third levels in, in LEB, it's it's brilliantly well organised. It feels like a professional game. You know, it's 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 still probably a level above the BBL, and just in terms of the way it's presented and, and everything about it. And you know, I guess from an education point of view, you know, that it must have felt like really big time. Um, I would I would say definitely at the Leb Gold level. Well, I was only in Huesca for four or five months mm. before I broke my foot. But at the Leb Gold level, yes, you it felt like this is big time. You're playing in sold out arenas. Um, you're practicing two times a day. It's very 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 serious. Um, yeah, it was, honestly that that second year when I was in Leb Gold, it was it was a very big shock from going and playing in empty gyms, like you've been playing in empty gyms your whole life in England, to playing in front of 3,000, 4,000 people where people actually care and they're screaming obscene things that you don't understand because it's in a foreign language, but you, you understand from the gestures and, and the passion. And I think the BBL is close to that in some arenas, definitely. I mean, what look at what Newcastle is. They're selling that place out every single night and the fans up there, I can tell you from personal experience, are very rowdy um, down here, I think. Well, it might not be like the best environment for athletes to play down in Plymouth. The, the court is a bit, it's on a concrete floor, it's tough, the rims are tough. Um, from a viewing perspective down at Plymouth, I don't think there's a better place to watch a basketball game in the BBL than at the pavilions. Um, so I think it's definitely akin um, to those places, the BBL and the, and the Lev Gold sort of environment that they create. When you came back, I mean, first to Newcastle and then the, the very short spell at, at Glasgow Rocks, but with all the experience you got, one of the things that surprised me at the time, particularly with the Rocks, and, you know, that it finished it quickly, was I thought you you would play more in this league, and I thought you would probably come in and be seen more as a hey, this guy's this guy's cut his teeth in Spain, he's British, he know he knows that he knows how to play the sport really well. You know, you're playing for someone like Flanoy, who's you know a smart, motivated coach. Um, were you surprised to not not have that bigger role, perhaps than than you probably your CV maybe deserved at the time. I think um, from the Glasgow standpoint, yes, definitely. Um, that's a whole different a story for another time. Um, but I think uh, in Newcastle, it, it's I don't, I, Fab is a very good coach and Fab is a very very successful coach. Um, but the style of play, going from playing in Spain for three years to then coming and playing in the BBL. It's something that I don't think I was particularly ready for. 
especially at that time, I was a very system-driven player um, and think that I thrive in those sort of environments, making reads off, off plays and, and knowing the ins and outs of where you can get your shots. And that just wasn't what Newcastle was. Um, Newcastle had a very distinct style of play that I didn't do my due diligence and, and do my research on. And I don't necessarily think that I fit in very well with that. Yeah, so <clears throat> especially at that time of my career, I think it was probably the more onus on me not being able to do the things that perhaps the team wanted. Although I don't think I, I played bad at Newcastle, and don't get me wrong, I wanted to play a lot more. Um, I think I should have played more than I did. Um, but you're coming into an established team that has a lot of guys that have been there for multiple years. Um, so obviously the coach is going to trust in those guys more than they trust in, in you. Which what we ended up, we won what the trophy I think that year, the trophy or the cup, mm-hmm. uh, finished the league second, lost in the playoff final. Again, I would have liked to have had a bigger role, but yeah, I mean, I don't think I could have done much else. I just think that my style of play and Fab's style of play weren't um, akin to one another. But like I said, he's a phenomenal coach and had incredible success throughout the year, so I can't I can't knock it at all. Was it an adjustment as well to being you know, alongside a player coach? Oh, that is a. Uh... That definitely takes um, some adjustment, and I can say wholeheartedly that it's something I would never want to do. Yes, be a coach, but I don't know how a player coaches. It is incredible that you can play and play at a level and then also be coaching, and it's incredible what Gareth is doing as well. He's not doing as much as playing, but I think in one of the games that I was there, Fab played 39, 40 minutes mm-hmm. in a game coming off a torn, a torn Achilles, which is... Uh, pretty phenomenal for someone at his age let alone to be coaching the game as well and playing that much uh, yeah it's uh, it's incredibly difficult job yeah i still imagine if, if nick nurse hadn't thrown a ton of money at him two years ago he'd still be playing in the bbl still uh, I, I don't i don't know i don't know i think that, <laughs> i think I, I think the timing was right you know they they worked at newcastle for so long to get their own arena and i think he saw that come in and then i think it was a the right time and I think it's good that he kind of went out on his own terms and perhaps I don't know he's Superman isn't he but you would hate to see him go out with an injury or something forcing him to leave at least he got to leave when he wanted to leave yeah you know and, and power to him I watched a Toronto New York game and there he was sitting on the on the bench behind them which is is awesome to see and it's fantastic for the league isn't it like what you've got a three I don't know did Finch have a coach in the BBL yeah of course yeah so Finch uh, Norris you got Nate Lankin on the bench, Tim Lewis now on the bench of the Timberwolves. I mean, it's a lot of You've got two NBA head coaches, you've got a G League head coach, you've got two assistants, and now you've got, what, um, two guys on 10-day contracts with the Pistons. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's uh, phenomenal for the league to have people that have come through and now and out at the highest level there is. Yeah, it's great to see. When you look at the the teams that you've played on, I mean, this season is is such an outlier for your averaging almost 36 minutes a game and that I think the most that you've ever done beforehand for any teams been been 25 so it's clear that you know the sense that you've you're someone who's always had to find a role and to, to find ways to be effective and you mentioned there you're trying to fit in around a coach in, in Newcastle rather than necessarily the team fitting fitting around you but I wonder learning off that Eagles experience if, if that changed the way that you approached how you saw yourself as a player and you know where you wanted to go on particular teams you know in terms of the due diligence and finding where you would fit in and contribute within you know each each individual roster that you're on 
No, that's, that's a very good question. No, absolutely. I think that was such a learning experience for me at Newcastle. Yeah, seeing like sometimes it, it's a tough, it's, it's a very tough balance to find, I think, when you play professional basketball because when you're in a, a team setting, like a national team setting or, or a college setting or something like that, there is such an importance placed on winning, right? Um, and sacrificing for... Uh, the greater good, good shot over a uh, great shot over good shot. Um, everything we can to win. Our goal is to win a championship, and it's quite a difficult environment to foster that in professional sports, especially at lower levels when you're on one-year contracts. Which in, in almost every league that I played in, everyone is on a one-year contract, right? So it's year by year. There's not a whole lot of money, so everyone is constantly trying to prove themselves year by year, um, which I've always found not the way that I play basketball. Um, I think for me, playing for so long in Spain, basketball needs to move. I don't care who scores. If we're winning, it's that's the success that the team... The, the, if the team is successful, we're being successful. If, if we're doing our job and we're winning, then that's all that matters. Um, and definitely playing back in the BBL and, and seeing that perhaps maybe changed my views a little bit, that sometimes you do have to be a bit more... I don't want to say selfish, but a little bit more aggressive in looking to show that you have skills that you can um, you can do things with. Um, but yeah, I think it was maybe a slight mentality change. But other than that, I don't think it changed the way I played too much. But uh, yeah, with regards to play, playing a lot here, look, I'm happy to be playing. Um, yeah, I can't I can't complain at all. Yeah, it's sort of four and a bit years thanks to COVID um, in the sort of lower tiers in Germany. Um, I mean, we we don't probably know that once you go outside sort of pro B, what that's like. Can you give us a sense of what the level of play was there? Again, so I spent I spent two years. My last two years with a team called SBB Baskets was a team that had big ambitions to move up to uh, to pro A, but they started in the fourth league. Um, and from a professional standpoint, from the team, um, everyone on the team was had a wealth of experience way above the the regio level. Um, so our team and our practices were really our games, to be honest with you. Like the level of the league itself was not great, but we had guys who were coming off pro A for multiple years, a um, couple of guys who played BBL in Germany. So while the league that we were playing in was was not great, um, the, the team itself was, was very good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely an eye-opener when you play lower down and you're going to cold sports halls with, 50 lines on the floor. It reminds you very much of youth basketball in England. Youth um, basketball? You mean senior basketball? <laughs> yeah, just basketball in England, yeah. But yeah, it's it's again, there's the passion and there's the drive. Like, I don't know what NBL three players are making, but we're making good money, having our own apartments, own cars. You know, like, I think that, coming back to one of your earlier questions, like, there's so much passion and drive for people in other countries and there's a, a promotion and relegation system. You have something to fight for, right? Like every team, or if you have a team that has big dreams long term, they want to make the BBL, right? If it's if it's a good town and they've got a good infrastructure, they can work their way up and feasibly make make the top league. Um, whereas here, you you can get promotion what from Division Three to Division One, but there's no there's no jump up to the BBL. There's no come down if you do badly. Um, which I think also helps with uh, the passion and the importance in, in games. Because when you were in Germany, you played for Essen, and during that was the season where Essen 
you know, a club with a lot of tradition, but folded mid-year. Yeah, it was uh, it was an absolute experience. They so we played in the Pro B, but um, the year before or two years before, they'd moved down from Pro A and had quite like a, a reputation of being a good team. Um, but there was new new management coming in, you know. So again, it was it was pitched as an opportunity. It's a new management. It's a club with a lot of history. They want to get back to to, to the ways of former times. And again, they put together a roster where they had uh, two very well-paid players and the rest of us were uh, a ragtag bunch of guys making not a lot of money, um, looking for opportunities. And uh, yeah, we got to about Christmas time and they told us that they were going to be late with the money because there was an issue. So we didn't get paid over Christmas. January comes, we have a, a couple more meetings and they're telling us that the new ownership didn't do their, their due diligence um, and that, yeah, they were waiting for a new sponsor and so we keep having to, to wait until we get paid. Meanwhile, we're losing games too. Like, I think we only won two games. So everyone is just miserable. We're losing games. We haven't been paid. No one knows what's going on. Um they're telling us that they've got a sponsor coming in, but no one can tell anyone that uh, we haven't been paid or that there's a new sponsor because if it gets out, this sponsor is going to back out. And this this whole ordeal goes on until pretty much like the beginning of February, midway through February. Um, and this is the Pro B season is almost over at that point. Um, but how it works in Pro B, like the bottom two teams of each conference um, – they do this thing called playdowns. So instead of playoffs, you have playdowns where you have like a, another season effectively where you play everyone twice. It'll be another six games and whoever finishes bottom two in that gets relegated and then the teams from the region move up. Um, so in our head, we think uh, there's no way any of us are playing in playdowns like we're not getting paid. Comes to the end of the season, uh, like two weeks before the end of the season, we have two more games. And the club's like, yeah, we're filing for insolvency. We're not going to pay you, but we're going to bring a lawyer in so that you can all get your money through the government. You have to fill out a bunch of forms. We'll help you with it, yada, yada, yada. At the same time, though, they're telling us that we still have to play these last two games of the season, even though the club is folding. They're under, like, sanctions from the league. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty mental. Um, we ended up having to play, like, our last game of the season, was against Munster, who were like top of the league, hadn't hadn't lost a game, so we went and played in their arena, three thousand people full, and got smacked by about thirty points because no one wanted to play. And then, and in, did uh, you get your cash though? See, this is this is the next point. I did not. <laughs> I did not get my cash because all of the paperwork was in Germany, and uh, so as soon as I found out that um, we were leaving and whatever. I hit up an agent and then I managed to get a job in Italy. So I finished out the season in Italy. Um, all the time, though, I'm trying to sort all this paperwork. One of the guys on the team were helping me. Um, I filled it all out, never heard anything back. So, yeah, I didn't get paid for, for two and a half, three months, which was, especially when you're not making much money in the first place, it was definitely a uh, a tough uh, a tough couple of months there. But, yeah, I was lucky enough to, to get a job in Italy and, make up for some of that lost lost revenue now you're back in the home the home soil the home turf again is the plan you're 28 years of age now is the plan ideally to stay in this league now or yeah, yeah. you know does, yes, does yes, the, yes. the journey continue no look i'm i made a decision this summer um i think covid might have helped with that but i don't think so i'm, I'm at a stage in my life where 
I'm tired of living in very small towns in foreign countries where outside of basketball you can't really do much. Um, you know, I've, I've done that. I've experienced that. I've experienced different cultures. Um, I definitely want to come back and firstly prove to myself that I can play in the BBL because, again, like you said, I think I, I think I could have stayed for those four years. I, it, it didn't happen, but I think I was good enough to play in this league um, and I wanted to, to prove to myself that I was. Um, and it's honestly, I think the best decision I've made in my career thus far is to come back. I'm again, don't get me wrong, we're losing, and I don't enjoy that. But just being back in England has uh, has been an incredible time for me. Being able to to talk to guys that I played with or against, or been a national team before games, it's so uh, refreshing and just enjoying to see other people back in England playing well. So yeah, for me, that is the plan: is to play in England for as long as I can. Again, don't get me wrong, if, if an ACB team approach me and say they want me to come and play, it might be a different story, but I'm pretty certain that's not going to happen. So, yeah, for this foreseeable future, I'm very happy being in the BBL and hopefully be here for a long time. Philosophical one to, to kind of start to end off with, but has the career turned out the way that you foresaw or that you wanted to when, I guess, you, you made that decision to come back to Europe and pursue a, a career in the pros over in this side of the Atlantic? Interesting question. Has it turned out what I, I wanted to when I was younger? No, not a chance. I mean, I think you all have the realisation that you're not going to play in the NBA for me came very quickly. Um, so that was that was always a, a long, lofty dream you have as a kid watching Space Jam, seeing Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny beat the Martians, right? Um, but But after that, I think I always wanted to play at the highest level possible in Europe and whether that was in the Euro Cup or if that was Euro League or something like that, um, that was always the dream. And I think maybe if you make a couple of different decisions, you know, you go to a different team, maybe you're a little bit more selfish, like I said, as opposed to team success, personal success, maybe things could have gone differently. Um, so I, it didn't turn out how I perhaps wanted it to. Would I change any of it? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I'm I'm content with where I am. I'm, I'm pretty content. You know, I've got to a point where I just really enjoy playing basketball, and the fact that I get to do that every day is uh, is something that I consider a, a blessing. And uh, yeah, I'm going to try and do it for as long as I possibly can. So I wouldn't change it for the world, mate. And the beard action is strong. <laughs> well, do you know what? it's. It's funny how it started. One of my friends, uh, my high school roommate, um, is is a guy called Mike Toby who plays in Valencia. He played for Slovenia um, in the Olympics mm. this summer. Uh, he went to Virginia in the States. And like maybe three or four years ago, we said to each other, oh, let, let's, ha let's have a bet, yeah? Let's, uh, let's see if we can grow our beards out for a year and what it looks like. I said, yeah, sure, no, no problem. I'm, I'm on board. Three months later, he told me, oh, I've got to go back to America to like sort my visa out and I'm going to shave because I don't want to look like a homeless person. Um, <laughs> so he's been, he's been clean shaven since then and I've just I've just had had the beard. Um, yeah, I love it. I know I'm going to lose my hair at some point, so just to see, to, to offset the baldness, see if I could grow a beard. You know? And luck, luckily it's there and it's it's not too, uh, too shabby. So, yeah, it's going to be here for a while, I think. Take it while you can. Here's three. We're Absolutely. going to do some new thing in the podcast this year. And then actually three three questions that, to end off with here. Who, if anyone, would you want to trade places with for a day? 
I don't want to say like, someone boring basketball wise. I'm trying to think of someone interesting. I don't know, maybe maybe uh, maybe a, a president or something like that, just to see what it's like to to have to deal with like the super high high pressure environment and for for a day, just a day. I like the way you said uh, president rather than prime minister. That was definitely avoided. No, it was. <laughs> no, I do not want to be prime minister. Here's an excellent. If you could visit anywhere in the world after COVID, where would you go? I've always, always wanted to go to uh, Australia and New Zealand. Hmm. Good choice. Uh, and if you had the superpower to change one thing, what would you ask for? I would. What were the what was the the planes that used to get from like everywhere super quick that they decommissioned concords concords i would never decommission concords so you could travel places a lot faster and it'd be a lot more easy to travel nice i was on a concord recently a decommissioned one they don't look as glamorous as we kind of imagine them but it'd be nice oh, to have them. yeah just from a speed standpoint you could have a superpower to fly like supersonically, you could have whatever you want. But yeah, if you want to conquer, that's okay. No, but I, 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 I thought you said uh, to change anything. Yeah. That was the superpower. That, that's okay. That's the superpower. That's allowed. That's okay. I would go for a, being able to fly really fast, but each their own. Yeah, um, yeah. Joe Hart, good talk to you. Um, thanks for stopping by the podcast. Good luck this year. Let's hope for some wins for the, the, the Patriots and um, continued growth of the beard. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. And yeah, hopefully 2020 brings a lot of wins for the Plymouth City Patriots. Let's hope so. Thanks for Joe. That's it for this edition of the MVP cast. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe via your preferred podcast provider or just ask Alexa or Google to play the MVP cast, especially if you've got one of those new fancy devices for Christmas. If you want to reach out to me, get me on Twitter at Mark Britpole. Another edition coming very soon with me, Mark Woods. Thank you so much as always for listening. That's goodbye.